Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Thursday, November 10th, and I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? I don't know if I've said this to you before, but I enjoy U.S. politics for the same reasons that many other people enjoy reality television, whether it's like drag races, I know you're pretty into Survivor, uh, Big Brother, all those sorts of things. Like the personality, the stakes, the plot twists, it's all there. And I got my mid-season finale the other day, which uh, is still sort of unraveling. Uh, some good plot twists, some good setups for the upcoming season. Trump versus Mr. DeSanctimonious is going to be delicious. Um, being the Canadians that we are, where even our right-wingers seem to be left of a lot of Democrats, I'm pretty happy to see the results down there. So that, that's been a good chunk of my week following that. And uh, I've, I'm not even ashamed to enjoy it for the reasons that I enjoy it. Uh, how are you doing? Doing well. Uh, didn't enjoy probably to the degree you did the U.S. politics results, but I was enjoying the real fake accounts on Twitter this week. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Unbelievable stuff coming out of Twitter right now. It, it is that they should rebrand the logo to just uh, the bird on fire actively. <laughs> I saw some great Dally stuff of like a guy sitting around a fireplace with uh, like flaming birds everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, you have any uh, favorites of the oh fake my gosh. tweets? Well, Nintendo was fantastic. <laughs> the Mario holding up the middle finger? Or... Yeah, oh, the whole thing, the whole thing. Oh, okay, that's the one I saw. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, the best was someone, someone replied to the tweet and said, Mario would never do this. And they just said, well, he did. <laughs> Uh, additionally, on Twitter this week, all of the memes of LeBron James being on something before everyone else. I never knew this. LeBron knew the Titanic would hit before it even set sail. <laughs> Just some really quality internet stuff this weekend to try and distract us from the fact that we live in a world-ending simulation. I think my favorite was it's like... Or a bunch of Rudy Giuliani ones that were just <laughs> pure nonsense. And then, like, even better is when two people gang up. There was one of, like, a, <laughs> where two verified accounts go back and like, forth. There's one where George Bush, it was like, I love <laughs> bombing the Iraqis. And like, Tony Blair was like, a dog. <laughs> How did Elon not see this stuff coming? Um, how did he not see it coming is what is what i want to know yeah oh my gosh I guess, incredible I guess the history of like tesla and spacex is they both kind of like burned out and flopped until they didn't so all hope is not lost but i don't know why i'd even use that phrase i'm having the time of my life on twitter at the moment mm-hmm. yeah it's been a entertaining week in the non-sports related world and because of that, my attention to sports this past few days, probably less than at other times during the pod, but we do have something special lined up for the basketball segment that we're going to open with, doing something a little different. We got a recap of the Raps game as well, uh, some football fan cave, previewing both the NFL Week 10 
and a little FIFA talk as that's just getting around the corner and some hockey to wrap us up. So if there's nothing else, so we'll jump right to it. Let's do it. All right. So going oh, the last two weeks or so in the NBA, we've seen a lot of controversy, mostly around things not called in game ending or near game ending sequences uh, that have had a pretty direct result on the outcome of the game. A couple of them have been contradicted by the last two minute game report. And yeah, reffing something I kind of always mutter about as we do our basketball talk. So with this accumulation of this, I thought we'd go through some of the highlights and try and work out how we feel about each one of them and see if there's any broader takeaways we can make. Uh, so we've got five or six clips we're going to go through. If you're listening to this on the podcast, we are going to have the video playing and going to try and do some play-by-play, slowly analyzing it. So that's going to be on YouTube. I recommend checking it out there on our channel, Sports Next Door. Uh, we will try and talk it through and describe what is on the screen, though, if that's unavailable to you or you're a walker while you listen to your podcast. So if I can get the Zoom split screen going, which here we are, you see that? Yes, sir. Look at this. Without further ado, we're going to start with the Miami Heat and Sacramento Kings. Uh, the game tied 107 to 107. Seven seconds left on the clock. Let it roll. Hero ball, top of the three point. Pump fake step back, lets up the three. And it's in. I think this comes I believe is the correct phrasing here. That is exactly the call that was made. Uh, better done than I did there. So in real time, that really looked like nothing. And in slow-mo, I'm still not sure if there's anything here. Uh, so I've got this clip slowed to about one-tenth the speed. I've just used QuickTime to slow it down again by 50%. Uh, so this might be a bit painfully slow, but we're going to take a look at what happened here. So again, Hero has it, takes it forward, the step back, the pump fake, left foot, right foot. Yeah, I still am not sure if I'd call so, that a travel. Yeah, the argument here is that, look how look at the vertical on Terrence Davis. Wow. Uh, argument there is that he may have lifted his right foot and established that as the, as the foot of pivot, but... Uh, then proceeds to pivot with the left foot on resetting to take the shot after the pump fake. In the NBA, this is never going to get called a travel. And even, like, he's gathered the ball, and I don't think he's moved his feet from this point yet, yeah? Yeah, in a so, close enough, it's close right foot, enough. left foot, he does yeah. lift both feet and touch them, but is that, like, there's no third step there, and he doesn't pivot off. It, it's only if he had uh, pivoted with his right foot and then his left, right that's but it really that, just looks like two steps to me yeah it, it's more yeah. the change of the pivot foot rather than the two steps but yeah this will never get called in the situation time scenario yeah yeah and in terms of gaining an advantage from it on the play i can't really say that there's any advantage yeah. like if he had just left the foot done so i'm not too upset about this non-call if it even like, official call non-travel yeah <laughs> all right so the hint kings excuse me get the loss the heat get the win off that 
ultimately what we're going to be coming up against time and time again is the skill of the player being the thing we want to decide the outcome of the game and what are the limits and guardrails we want to put against that in this case i think the skill shines through with nothing really unfair getting in the way so i'm happy to move on to the next clip here we are trailblazers sons tied at 106 one second left on the clock the ball gets inbounded but we're still on half playback speed good Great pass. Grant catches it, really falls back, creates a lot of space from the defender, and hits the fader for the two for the game winner. Uh, I don't think we need to watch it again from this angle. I like this one a lot better. So we'll watch it back once more in real time, and then again in slow. Ball goes up, contact, one, two, three, four. I counted five steps with the foot there. Ball goes up. So the question here is, where is the gather? At what point does he yeah. have control of the ball? This one especially interesting because it was reviewed that night. Yeah, um, honestly, uh, the, the gather step in the NBA is when they put their second hand on the ball. So they normally get away with quite a bit of distance while they are bringing the ball in their one hand to their second hand. So sometimes you'll see players get two steps off in their quote-unquote mm. gather which is illegal by the rules the official definition is control to pass or shoot or dribble the ball that's when like the point of gather is considered over and they have possession yeah so if, if you go off of that then i'd say this isn't really a travel here and if it is it's again one that doesn't get called because he's <laughs> He's just, he's moving backwards. It's implied that he's probably going to get this shot off anyways. And it's too ticky-tack of a, a call that to really change a moment like that. That's not what the NBA wants. Let's watch it one more time. Very, very slowed down. So the ball comes up. Point of contact. He has his right foot planted, his left foot balling, falling back as that ball enters his one hand. Left foot comes down, right foot sliding back, right foot down. I think, like in my mind, right around here, he has control of the ball. Mm -hmm. So one, two, three, shot. Yeah, I it's, def it's definitely questionable. It's so definitely questionable. I still, I wouldn't call it. <laughs> I do think this one the uh late game or the last two minute report if i'm not mistaken did uh go back and say this was a travel okay still don't call it <laughs> i don't care <laughs> the steps are so blatant there the, this one i didn't like and especially the fact that it was reviewed and they decided to let it stand i was pretty up in arms against this well, one so did they review for the travel or did they review just for the when he got it off because i don't think they can mm. review for a travel because it wasn't called okay yeah yeah i fair enough then yeah um i mean that's absurd but yes under the that doesn't make sense rules, but under the review rules yeah you can't <laughs> you can't review a travel it's not called so your call is play on my call is this is atrocious and i'm with the suns fans on this one which uh, <laughs> i don't say very often for those who do not listen yep all right so our next one is 
two plays that happened in the same game, this between the Celtics and the Cavaliers. The Cavaliers up by two, about seven seconds left on the clock, I believe. Uh, the We covered this on the pod in real time with more of a just take on the game. Uh, the ball inbounded to Smart. Tatum, starting from the backcourt, takes off at running speed into the front court with Wade guarding him. I still have this on half speed, don't I? Yes, I do. So here we go twice in real time, and then we'll take a look at it again. So Smart gets by Wade, takes it up. Allen comes in. Tatum makes the dunk. I tried to Yakum. freeze it there. We get like a really nice reaction out of Tatum and I cut for the sake of brevity, um, but the real like indignation at no call and still strutting it. Uh, so once more in real time at a different angle, goes up, bit of body contact, bit of a touch on the arm. So we'll go, any thoughts before we go in slow-mo? So this is exactly one of those plays where as a as a purist you hate it but as as someone who understands the nba as a product this is a foul that gets called if he doesn't make the dunk and i know that's terrible to say but it's it's something that exists in the league where if a player is fouled in an important situation and they don't make the basket then it is going to be called a foul and allow them the chance to tie the game. Whereas, uh, and this happens even not in tight situations. If someone makes a posterizing dunk, there is a foul usually on a lot of those. Just doesn't get called because it's an exciting play um, and you make the basket. But if you don't, it's usually a late whistle, which frustrates the opposition. It is a foul. So ruling is it's a foul, but I understand why it's not called. And just to be clear, are you saying like this is the way it is, or are you saying you agree with the way it is? Both. Okay. Um, so before I give my take, I'll just add that there's kind of two elements to the foul or like the question of foul here. One would be the body contact, and two would be the arm touch. Anytime you blow by your defender and you're dealing with the help defender, you're the help defender has a really uphill battle in the foul. Uh, question because they don't have legal guarding position they don't have the time to establish it uh, nine times out of ten especially in a case like this uh, so any body contact really that disrupts or changes the shot uh, is automatically a foul by that standard uh, at the same time players like tatum coming in with so much momentum and strength it is going to take quite a lot of force to disrupt them in any way that's not incidental and actually adjusts the trajectory. Uh, so maybe going back to what you said of like, if this goes in, it's not a foul. If it doesn't go in, it is a foul. There is something there just in terms of, well, it went in. So like the contact was incidental and didn't really affect it versus like it didn't go in. There was contact. It probably affected it. Yeah, the, the point you lose there is like, what if there's contact that didn't affect it and it doesn't go in? Uh, just in at the speed and strength this plays at, it's really hard to make that call. Uh, so twice more in slow-mo, and this is one of the harder ones for me. At first, I thought this was totally nothing. But yeah, like there's a bit of body contact. And then any like i think there's an arm touch but it just 
he has so much speed and momentum going in that it does nothing. And a call here would have given the cat or the Celtics a go-ahead free throw shot to win the game. I really never want this called where the contact is incredibly incidental and doesn't affect it at all. It quite often does, especially if it doesn't go in. Uh, so I personally am pretty happy with the non-call. Uh, so I think we're together on play on there. Yep. All right. Three, four seconds later in the same game, uh, maybe a bit later, actually. I think I can't remember how long the Celtics dribbled it. Uh, Three seconds left on the game clock. Donovan Mitchell, who's been fantastic with the hero ball throughout this last two-minute stretch, by the way, uh, has the ball top of the arc. Let's let the clip play. Shot goes up. Tatum the block. Both players fall to the ground. Buzzer ends. Game is going to overtime. Um, so I think I'll play that once more in real time. Then we'll chat. And then once more in slow motion. Slightly different angle coming up here. We're a little closer, so shot goes up, and you see why Mitchell fell. Uh, Tatum's foot right under it as the block went down. Once more in slow mo, or do you are you happy to chat? I got it. It's uh partially you could say it's a makeup call, which happens in the NBA for not calling the the previous one. It's a foul that gets called in the other forty six minutes of the game because he's in his landing area. Now, there's an argument there that Donovan extends his leg, and that could be an offensive foul in the new uh, rules as well. I think the big piece of this not getting called is the fact that Tatum did block the shot. And a lot of times, again, in these close final second, final minute scenarios, you reward good defense and you don't reward bad shots taken in, in the last two minutes of a close game. Tatum makes the block. I think that makes the rest of the contact mostly incidental, just as, as similar to what happens after you steal a ball or after you block it from someone and then two bodies collide. Most of the time, that's not going to get called because the play has already taken place and the rest of it's unaffected. The landing area thing is important, but in this case, you reward de defense uh, late in the game and you don't want to make a call that decides the outcome in this situation. So my issue with that is, and I tried to freeze it here in a spot that shows it as much as I can, where Tatum is, the only way he can make this block happen is by attacking the landing space of Mitchell, which, as we know, is a really unsafe injury-occurring play. If he tries to block this shot in a way where he doesn't, where he stays out of Mitchell's landing space, and when we watch in slow-mo, I'm going to look for that kickout you mentioned, I don't think he gets the block off, and I don't think this is a bad shot by Mitchell. Uh, he's created an okay amount of space, and he's been fire in these last two minutes. So if he thinks he has the space to get the shot off because Tatum can't leap as far or isn't allowed to leap at his maximum leap in distance, takes it, and it's only Tatum saying... I can do whatever I want as long as I get the block that lets him. Uh, so I will want, like, do you think if Tatum goes straight up on here, he can affect this shot from this no. distance? All right. Uh, your thoughts on that before we look for the kickout? I mean, the, the, the counterpiece to that is in this new age, 
step backs are more extreme than ever. <laughs> Both of Donovan's feet definitely leave the ground on a step back to create that much space. So it's, I, I think in this situation, again, one second left, that shot has to go up. So Tatum selling out to, to play defense on it. And, and yeah, I, I just in these tight situations, I think there's, there's going to be more plays like this and it's, it's different from when it happens the rest of the game. What's ironic is if Mitchell had traveled, he might've been able to get the shot off with enough space to get away from the block. Mm. So he goes pretty straight up. That right foot kicks out a little, but it's that left foot that Tatum's under, and that's where Mitchell falls. So I, I think this should have been called. I, I think this sends a message to defenders that, like, prioritizing the block in the last in these situations lets you get away with almost anything, and it. It's actually it's just player safety uh, more than anything else that upsets me about that. Like, just imagine if like Steph Curry goes out of the playoffs on a situation like this. Um, yeah. So, so where does Tatum land here? Uh, he still lands inside the three point line. So the part of that where Donovan's jumping okay. forward. Not, Man, yeah. Oh, I just I think up. it's close enough with the time remaining and the fact that he does make a play on the ball. It's just, it's different from someone closing out to the corner, jumping three feet forward. Like like Tatum's the primary defender. He's not closing out from a rotation. All right. So O says play on. I say, I don't like it. Yeah. All right. Similar thoughts on this next one. (laughs) All right. We'll try. This is already dragging out. So we'll move along to the Kings warriors. 1.3 left on the clock in the inbound. Kings trail by three. They need a three to get the shot up. Uh, This one's tricky, so I have it at like four or five different angles. So we're going to watch a few of them, chat about it, and then once more in slow motion. So inbound comes, Herder with the catch, shot goes up, some body contact there, and it's an air ball, not even close. If we back up a little here, the two questions are... There was a hand, uh, I really cut these. There was a hand on the back. I think that got cut out. That's, and then, that's not foul. Yeah, that is. I did uh, try my best to peruse the NBA rules. And even there, like a hand that's incidental is a non-call play on. Uh, the two things are, the main thing is, does Clay catch Herder's elbow? I said we'd let play and then chat about it. So we'll play it a couple more times and see the angles. It, it's such an awkward, bad-looking shot that doesn't even get close. And for me, it's a question of, is it that shot so awkward and bad because of how aggressively Clay is invading the space of Herder? And is it legal or illegal for him to do so? Uh, so that one I think was slowed down naturally. And then, yeah, here's where I've got the last slowed down. So we're on the same page. The hand on the back has affects the play zero. Except, I guess, in that it lets Clay stay really, really close to Herder. And uh, we see him take a really awkward looking shot, trying to create some space from Clay. 
And I think that is part of what makes this shot attempt so bad. Does, does he make contact with his elbow on the way up or in the shooting motion? It's right as the ball gets released, I think. So right there. Yeah, so I'd say if it's on the way up, that's a little bit more extreme. But it feels like Clay, for the most part, is pretty straight up in his defense. He's not invading Herter's landing space in the same way that even Tatum did. And, yeah. and Her Herter obviously jumps before Thompson does. <sighs> There's contact here. What I'd boil it down to is you don't bail out bad shot like this late in the game where Sacramento's got to run a better play than this, to be honest. And, and again, not, not, not a perspective that a lot of people are going to like, but I don't think you call this because Sacramento is, is at this point, it's, they're hunting for a foul to bail them out. It's a bad shot. It's a bad play. Clay is really tight, and there's obviously contact, but I just don't think it's enough to warrant a foul that completely changes the outcome of this game. So my issue, I guess first I'll say the last two-minute report did call this a foul, an incorrect call on the floor. For me, like that contact is part of Clay, I think, being a little too tight. Like I think part of the reason this is such a bad shot is because it's so awkward because Clay is so tight and Herder's trying to make up for the space. Uh, so you don't reward bad defense or bad offense, but do you reward like illegal defense is what we keep coming up against. And in my mind, this is just on that threshold. Exactly. And, and this is the call I think the fans base has the most right to be upset about out of all of the ones that we're going to watch here, but I still can appreciate the perspective of not calling it. Mm -hmm. I, we're, um, I'm like brewing in my head another script for a video of like rule changes I want to see to the NBA, uh, mostly to speed up the game. And uh, in that regards, one of them is I want to see three-point foul shots, just one shot from the three-point line, uh, which I feel like would add some fun tension to it. So uh that would have made a different kind of dramatic late game scenario. Um, but yeah, I'm with the Kings fans on this one. This is just a little too illegal in the defense. And it, again, same as the Tatum thing, it's incentivizing uh, the defense to stifle the offense, which I think guys have just gotten so ridiculously good at the three-point shot over the last five years that like that's somewhat changed our perspective on this like it's just an impossible shot for herder with how aggressive clay is this is a weird one uh nuggets up three 11.8 on the clock Jokic catches the ball right near the top of the three-point line has a pretty open a wide open lane to the basket uh we'll let it roll and then once more in slow-mo. So it takes that drive. I don't know who the defender is, but he gets into Jokic, body it's contact, and the shot doesn't go. Uh, Benny um, boy, number two on the rookie of the year ladder. Yes, we haven't touched on the Pacers yet. That's okay, we don't have <laughs> So I, I think, in my opinion anyway, Nikola Jokic gets the worst whistles or like has one of the worst whistles for any superstar in the game, just in terms of what defenders are allowed to get away with. 
Um, I think that's a center thing. It is, but like, it's almost like the rules are working against him and that like, if it's incidental, if it doesn't affect, and he's just so damn skilled that like the idea of what does and doesn't affect him, like more warped than anything. Uh, so I think that may be another variable in play here. But as we go, it was a weird one just because it like all he had to do was hold the ball and wait for the foul to come, but he tries to put it away. So he has the clear lane, still has the clear lane. There's the body contact, and he is foul hunting here. Like as as soon as he feels the contact, that's when his shot goes up. So the part that's surprising here is in this scenario refs normally have a quicker whistle because they're expecting an intentional foul. I'd mm -hmm. say if this is any other part of the game, probably get away with a non-foul call. The part that's shocking to me is that they should be calling fouls at this point because they're expecting any contact to be in, like intentional, uh, mm -hmm. and, and it's an intentional foul. So in this situation, I'd say they get the call wrong for the situation, but I think any other point in the game, it's not a foul. So it's a weird one. Yeah, I, it is a foul in that the he doesn't have legal guarding position and then he creates contact, which disrupts the shot. And it's not a foul for me in that the shot goes up because Jokic feels the body contact. And I hate that. Also significant, this non-call would allow the Pacers for a buzzer beater attempt, which they ultimately missed. But this was a non-call with potential game affecting yeah. impact. Well, don't lie. <sighs> so it was a foul. Uh, yeah, this I think was the hardest one for me to decide on. Where it does seem like a foul, but I I don't I hate that style of play, and I'm kind of happy to see it punished. Uh, this segment has gone on way longer than I. Uh, though I'm not shocked. Uh, so we'll move along to the last one here where the Oklahoma City Thunder lead by one in OT after a ridiculous step back by Shea Alexander-Gilgis. Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Uh, the Bucks with the ball inbounding it. Lopez at the top. He's going to get a screen set for him. There's going to be a switch as the ball comes up. I'm going to get a push uh, from Dort, and Lopez really can't do much with the ball in the air. Thought so? I'm fine with this one either way they want to call it. Side with the refs here. Uh, it's a play where it directly affects the game-winning layup. The shot is missed, which is critical, and, and you punish Oklahoma City for a late rotation and bad defense there, and Lopez definitely would have gotten a look there if he wasn't pushed off. So. I'm fine with it calling a foul, but I honestly, I could see it being called the other way as well. I think that causes more heads to roll if, if it's called the other way, because then he only makes one and it goes to double OT. Yeah, just I, I'd love to see the meta stats on a player's free throw percentage in game, like direct game impacting situations like Durant missed some the other day against the Mavericks, which broke like a 65 streak. I think about Paul George missing two free throws for the first time in a season uh, for a loss. So many examples like that this fits into. I just thought it was interesting to end the clip with uh, something where we did have a call that directed the game um, because 
for me, the worst case in this is the refs feeling the pressure and start calling ticky-tack fouls and creating game-ending sequences because I do not want to see a situation where ball of the last five seconds, just drive it into the key, throw it up, and get calls flop-style basketball. I'd rather live in the no-call world than a world where that's what happens. And so we'll run it one more time. Like, there's definitely a push. There's definitely contact. There's definitely a strength disadvantage. So what else does Lord Dort do? I do think this was the right... Calling the foul was the right decision here, though. Yep. All right. That was a 30-something minute segment. Closing notes on... I, I was hoping this would help me take have some meta-take gathering things from our conversation and highlights on every clip um, bit to reiterate it like you want the game ending scenarios to be decided by the skill and athleticism that defines basketball uh, and you just want the offense and defense to both have a fair chance to do that my main takeaway might be that going in I thought some of these were a lot worse than they were uh, so you influencing me a little in that like some amount of play on but these really sat on the line and maybe i have some more sympathy for the refs than i thought i would coming into this that was going to be my takeaway is is nba refs have an incredibly difficult job all these things happen much quicker than we just broke them down at and they have to make a call exactly in that moment without breaking it down i think on aggregate they get calls off right more often than not and there's always going to be things that they miss and they call differently um but the biggest thing you always want your refs to do is call consistently and don't intervene and be the story of a game and i think in most if not all of these instances they don't end up being the major cause of the final outcome and that's all you can really ask for when they have to be relied on this to do this night after night until we get robots, right? I mean, this was a collection of non-calls. So by definition, it's hard to make the refs the story of it, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to those games where teams have like one team has a 20 free throw advantage. Is that going to do it or do we have time for more podcasting? Let's keep it rolling. Let's take a all right. break break and we will be right back and we're back a little more basketball before we move on to some other points in the pod uh the toronto raptors and the houston rockets going at it last night the rocket or the raptors squeak out the win i can't remember the final score line but decided in the last minute for sure game that really shouldn't have been a nail biter if you're a raps fan turns into a nail biter uh happy to get the win but some points i'm pretty unhappy about how do you feel through it the raptors were surprisingly one of the four teams in the league who were top 10 in defense and offense heading into this game tonight um their offense didn't look nearly as good tonight as as it has been in the past but i think that's what we expected going into the season i think they've overperformed offensively a lot of that came from siakam and he's now missed um the last stretch of games and will miss the next stretch of games and really this one's about winning in the NBA, there's no loser point in the NBA. There's, it's wins or losses. And so 
doesn't matter how you get it done. You get the win, you move on uh, to the next one. And there's obviously things you can pick out and complain about early on in the season. Precious is going to be done for an extended period of time there. Uh, tear, tearing uh, his meniscus, I believe, last night in the game. Uh, and it's just going to allow more guys to step up. We're starting to see what Porter can provide. He has made a difference. I think not as extreme as some Raptors expected, like like I said, but he has been a really nice piece for them so far. And Thaddeus Young, of course, the veteran getting more minutes as well, had, had a real impact. And yeah, like Houston's a really young team, but they've got a lot of explosive dudes and the Raptors tend to struggle on on teams that just don't have <laughs> a set scheme, right? They're good at taking away the other team's best thing or throwing a variety of looks to try and disrupt a, a, something teams do well. Whereas Houston, because they're a younger team, they're still getting into their flow. The Raptors obviously play down a little bit to an opponent at home, um, but also that the Jalen Green's a hard guy to stop. And some of those other Rockets guys will really cook and give some energy. And the Raptors just didn't have their 100% game face on and still able to squeak it out. So I'm satisfied. Yeah. I, I thought for the majority, like 30 minutes of this game, the Raptors looked like the team they should look like. It's just in those 18 minutes, they really got punished. Uh, the first big chunk came somewhere midway through that first quarter where the Rockets just dominated in transition and got way too many free easy points where the ball went up the rim and you caught the Raptors standing around. Now they got a ton of second chance points throughout the night and that was a big part of why they were able to win this game. Um, so they figured out the formula of how to get the offensive rebounds and still get back through the last three quarters. I think it was just a weird thing where the Rockets weren't doing a good job securing their own ball. So I like can't really blame the Raps for looking for those. But when the bounces didn't go their way, they got in trouble early on. They did a great job locking it down later in the second quarter and slowly closing the gap. Uh, OG went four for four uh, on a beautiful stretch, shooting three-pointers to keep their offense in it early. Uh, Banton had some nice minutes in that second quarter as well. Uh, they eked out ahead in the third. Uh, then OG did the other thing he does really well. He generated three steals in about three minutes. The Raptors got out. They were moving. They had the double-digit lead. And if you go back to those Hawks and Spurs blowouts, this is when they were pouring it on. This is when they were just generating turnover after turnover, stop after stop, getting out and running. And the momentum built, the game snowballed, and the Raps ran away with it. But that didn't happen this third quarter. And that's where I really saw the absence of Pascal Siakam, a guy who just gets you continuous easy buckets and can do that with three or four bench guys on the court with him at the same time. Whereas here in the third quarter, uh, when we made the switch, had some of our starters come off, that's when the offense really staggered and halted. And that gave the Rockets the window to catch up, keep their foot in the door, and get back in this. Uh, they traded punch for punch. I, I don't think they took the lead ever any time again, but they were able to tie it once or twice. So like you said, it's just a win or a loss. The Raptors do hang in there. Uh, they bend but don't break. 
able to mostly stay ahead and uh, they pulled it out in the last few minutes uh, they couldn't get a stop scarily and it felt like the rockets were closing the gap and the raptors were getting some sketchy looking baskets to keep it going uh, but when their offense faltered they were finally able to get a stop secure the game i do still not know how i feel about fred van fleet and this franchise but without him the raptors do not win this game uh, he had some great off-ball action to get open look threes he was great for the raptors in transition hitting those stop and pop threes off the dribble and he has a lot of great defensive moments as well helped turn the ball over three or four times the only thing i'll say that is uh he also had two brutal uh late late game scenarios where he drove the ball in and you just saw his lack of length get suffer he took it to the rim and had nowhere to go and gave the rockets uh two turnovers and some points off both those turnovers if i'm not mistaken so things i didn't like but i'll say it without him this game is not a win for the raptors easily and he did have some key finishes late i think he had a floater around the the elbow and then a late um, switching left-handed finish uh, underneath the outstretched arms of Shengun. Um, yeah, the the big thing there with all you mentioned with Fred is that with no Siakam, he was able to get all of the guys in their spots uh, and and settle things down when Houston started to pour it on and play some really tight defense in the third quarter. Um, and he had to do a lot of ball <laughs> carrying. It, not a, anyone else on the team was not really creating their own shot even gary was struggling so fred kept the engine humming when when the raptors went into a drought and obviously siakam does that when he's back but it showed how essential fred is as a secondary creator there on uh on the team because as much as i love og and it's an og appreciation night his sixth game with three plus steals the defensive player of the year rankings came out he is third on the ladder behind Giannis mm. and marcus smart um oh. who's the defending pl defensive player of the year Come so you still he, he's getting the recognition he deserves and as much as i love him defensively he's still not the guy who's you can stick out there with four other bench players and he's your offensive generator right yeah um we Gary's did see not that. either not that guy either because he's not as much of a playmaker but fred's the dude who does that right now for this team mm-hmm yeah, not a sophomore slump, but we're seeing some struggles from Scotty. Questions of if there's an injury there or not. Uh, but not two great games for him in these last few. Some ridiculous highlights for OG, but not Mr. Consistency offensively throughout 48 minutes. Uh, for me, the question with Fred is just with Siakam healthy, what is his ideal role on this team? And is that undervalued at the contract that he's on? And that's what I'm going to be looking for moving forward. Um, as you said, Thaddeus Young and Otto Porter Jr. also instrumental in this. Uh, two back-to-back -back threes from Porter uh, are really what iced this yeah. game for the Raps. And uh, if people were expecting more from him than that, I don't know what it was about because this is beautiful. And like as much as I could ever hope from that signing. And I think it's great value for what, yeah. what we get. Some nice defensive minutes there as well. 
and Young just an anchor. Uh, one of the most impactful zero-point nights I've seen from a player. Yeah, yeah. Both those guys get, get kudos for sure. And then on the Rockets side, the MVPs for the Raptors tonight were uh, Jalen Green loved giving it to the Raptors defense got stripped a number of times in the pick and roll just looked a little bit indecisive uh, and not attacking downhill like we know he can with his athleticism and then Tari Eason I love the oh my the god his energy but my guy could not make a layup last night and he had so many opportunities too uh, and that was that was really the difference in that second half for the Raptors it was about 10 points he left on the table it yeah um also, we've said our apology to the refs. I can go back to bashing them. This game felt tilted for the Rockets for me. Uh, like, I swear I saw Coloco get called his fourth foul, jumping, hit like patty cake on the fingertips um, after the shot goes up. That gets called for his fourth foul. He's getting the rookie treatment. Uh, OG has like... A call that I don't want to see called a foul uh, later in that same quarter, maybe it was the fourth quarter, where more impact comes after the shot and more of a threat to the landing space, no call. Also a really brutal call on OG where it like hands on the jersey and like absolutely nothing to affect the play that gets whistled on us. If he hadn't been able to play with great poise and carefulness throughout the game, this also would have greatly impacted it. Um, yeah, Coloco's definitely got some work to do, but the ref's not doing him any favors in this one either. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, other than our NBA previews, uh, I think that was our longest basketball storyline segment ever. <laughs> um, so I'm going to have a big editing job tonight. Uh, make it the rest as easy on me as you can. Oh, yeah, we're going to fly through here. Um, similar to the Olympics. I don't know how much World Cup coverage we will do on the podcast, given the uh, social and political implications of that tournament. Um, But I do want to talk about Team Canada because it was such a fun and exciting ride to watch this team qualify. And a couple of uh, potentially scary moments leading into the World Cup. Alfonso Davies with a hamstring injury. Bayern Munich did confirm that he will be ready in time for the World Cup, but all of Canada held their breath in that moment. It was scary. Uh, and then a couple of other injuries. Uh, one of their backup goaltenders, Kripo, breaks his leg in the MLS Cup final um, and, and cheered on his team uh, as he left the field. The LAFC end up taking that one, as we all were well aware of in the sports world. Definitely, definitely top of mind. <laughs> uh, even the World Series outperforms MLS. I guess that makes sense. Even isn't it like America's pastime? Yeah, they're both dying. Or okay. soccer's actually growing. It's just smaller right now. Um, but yeah, a couple injuries Starving there for Canada. Camel so. Bigger than a horse. Yeah, I guess so. That makes sense. It's a Chinese. And they idiom. have a uh, yeah. They have a they have a friendly tomorrow uh, against Bahrain, and uh, looking forward to seeing seeing the the form of the team there and just hoping and praying that everyone can stay healthy before we go shock the world in november uh the starts next sunday max world wow now yeah. all right on to the nfl here uh indianapolis colts coach frank reich fired after their loss to new england last weekend and they hire jeff saturday well-known 
Colts former player Jeff Saturday. Uh, last time he was coaching football, he went three and seven uh, at his high school team <laughs> two Ooh, years ago. Boy. Definitely a someone you know higher by owner Jim Mercer. Um, Saturday even admitted coming up he has no real qualifications for the job in an interview, but said he's going to sure as dang heck try his best. Uh, so Colts fans, I'm sure you feel very relieved. And by that, I mean, take a look at, at CJ Stroud uh, at the top of the draft coming up in, in, <laughs> in a couple months there. Big one to start on Sunday, the Seattle Seahawks and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going overseas to play in Germany. Tom Brady's got to find him a German supermodel to bring home. I think that's, that's got to happen there. Um, this Seahawks team, I'm, I'm jumping aboard the hype train. We've talked about them for a number of weeks now. Really fun draft class, young, hungry team. Geno Smith's been balling out. He rises up a couple ticks more in the MVP race just with Josh Allen um, not playing his best against the Jets and could be out for a couple of weeks now with the injury, which is going to affect the next game I'll talk about. Uh, but the Seahawks looking to play fast on defense and continue to disrupt this this sputtering Buccaneers offense. Um, and, and who knows what sort of time zone effect is going to have on Brady because he actually has some pretty unique numbers now in his older age at games happening at night. Um, and with the time shift, they're playing early in the day, but technically it is an afternoon game in Germany. So hmm. um, interesting to see how that affects Brady's biological clock and what his performance is going to look like. I think it's going to be a pretty low scoring game just with the travel and, and both of these defenses playing at a high level. Uh, so take the under there in, in Germany and uh, enjoy an, another early morning football game. The Vikings and the Bills. This one would be the, the marquee game, of course, uh, between a 6-2 and two Bills and 7-1 and one Vikings. Now Josh Allen could be out. That affects this, but that could lead to a Case Keenum uh, revenge game against his former team. And the Vikings, if, if they win this one, and if they do it in a pretty dominant fashion, then they are definitely for real. They've, they've, they've heard a lot of fraudulent talk from them because they've had an easier schedule and some of the underlying numbers of this team don't suggest that they should be seven and one, but they continue to, to get things done and they have a pretty significant lead in the NFC North. Um, and, and this is their big one that they really got to play up for. So I'm, I'm curious to see what happens in this one. I, I think there's going to be a lot of points. The Cowboys and the Packers, usually a marquee matchup between two historic franchises, but the Packers are dead. And the Cowboys are coming off of a bye where they have such a strong defense and their offense is starting to round into shape. Another week for Dak to get healthier and get more reps uh, with, with this offense. And I just think it's going to be a drubbing uh, for the Cowboys this week unless Aaron Rodgers can have one last bit of magic. But the Jordan Love talk has begun in Green Bay. And does that mean Rodgers is traded this offseason as he's entering the first year of a three-year, $150 million deal? Or uh, is is he just, are they just going to ride it out with him and it'll just be a train wreck? Who knows? Maybe the Broncos can give up more draft picks. <sighs> Moving on to the Chargers <laughs> and the 49ers, the last one uh, of intrigue there for me. Um, Christian McCaffrey, I think, is going to run all over this Chargers team. 
Uh, but if Keenan Allen is back, that really uplifts the Chargers offense. They've been playing their third and fourth string wide receivers at one and two. And if they have both Allen and Mike Williams back, that instantly puts everyone in the right spots and could allow Herbert to uh, to sling the rock. His longest touchdown this year is a 23-yarder. And he's a guy we know can throw the ball 70 yards downfield. So look for that to maybe change there for the Chargers as they try to get back uh, into the picture with the Chiefs in the AFC West. Trying to stay more on top of your Monday night picks. It wasn't a tough one for you, but well done getting the Ravens over the Saints. Ravens look great. Looking forward to Sunday to hear the next one. And we got Carolina, Atlanta tonight. Have to go with the Atlanta Falcons uh, because I think they have an, They know they have the opportunity to take the NFC South uh, tonight with a win and, and a potential Bucks loss to Seattle overseas. So good opportunity for Atlanta to, to try and claw themselves back to the top of the NFC South. I'm going with them tonight against Carolina. All right, uh, that's going to do it for the football fan cave there. Um, last piece really to quickly touch on is the Leafs and the Vegas Golden Knights in our talking hockey segment. They're finally starting to, to walk into the picture. Uh, we're, we're spending more and more time speaking about them. <sighs> a better loss, you want to say, uh, after they won three, three in a row, four in a row, three in a row? Yeah, I think three. Flyers and too. yeah but four solid performances put together in a row mitch marner has some magical moments uh but just like any other story they can't avoid some sloppy play um not great night for sandine not a great night uh for for william nylander with the giveaway on the power play late that the golden knights get the shorthanded goal to tie the game and then of course in overtime Marner falls asleep at the wheel. Uh, Riley Smith sneaks in between the two forwards uh, at the blue line, gets in alone, finishes the game. Leafs pick up the loser point, um, which is a fine result, but it's a game that they definitely should have won and one they're going to be looking back with uh, disappointment as, as they just try to keep pace with the Bruins and the Red Wings at the top of the Atlantic Division. It's a bit of a glass half full, glass half empty on all these loser points that they've picked up early in the season when they inevitably do have one or two good runs through the season uh, to get themselves back up there. We might look back on this and say, well, they were able to keep afloat or we might look back at it and say if they had just won some of these fucking overtimes, uh, and, we wouldn't uh, be in this tight race. Yep. Look ahead. They will probably will probably see their fifth string goaltender get his uh, NHL debut on Hockey Night in Canada against the Penguins this Saturday. So, good times. They'll Here's probably the win that game, actually. <laughs> and they get to play the lowly Canucks tomorrow night. So, they'll probably lose that one. <laughs> Always a roller, a flat roller coaster is what being a Maple Leafs fan is like. Yeah, it's a roller coaster that goes up a little bit and then goes down through an acid pit with snakes and then goes up a little bit more and then goes further down into uh, chopsticks being put under your toenails and kicked into a wall. And and do I need to paint an even more gruesome picture? If you made it to the end of this podcast, you deserve what you're hearing right now. (laughs) 
Yeah, a bit of an all over the place dragged out one. Um, but thank you to anyone who has made it all the way through to here. Uh, this was almost two full years in and still trying different things, uh, still working our way through, still having fun. I'm having fun. Are you having fun, O? Absolutely, my friend. And that's what it's all about. So once again, thank you everyone for listening. I got super into Tala over the week. If you're looking for some experimental, busy thrash metal to check out, oh, I'd very much recommend all of their new singles. Can't wait for that album to drop. I'll be bumping it when it does. Uh, and you should too. Thanks again for listening. Sports Next Door signing out.